somebody else. So um, go ahead and find your, in your Bibles to no, Numbers chapter 20. It's going to be our main text from today. And as you're finding your way there, uh, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's our theme verse for this message today. And uh, this is, I see some of you fanning yourselves. This is, uh, this is an illustrated sermon. It's called, You Thought This Is Hot, Try Hell. So, um, no, we, uh, we, we had some issues with our AC last night, of all things. And so, anyways, uh, some of you need to give in the offering. That's all I'm going to say. But, uh, no, we'll get it back on, and uh, it'll be great next week for you to invite your friends. But First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, our theme passage for this series, this is what it says. I want you to remember, my friends... What happened to our ancestors who followed Moses? This is Paul writing. He says, They were all under the protection of the cloud, all passed safely through the Red Sea. In the cloud and in the sea, they were all baptized as followers of Moses, all ate the same spiritual bread, and drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that went with them, and that rock was Christ himself. I'm going to skip to verse 11. It says, All these things happened to them, as examples for others and they were written down as a warning for us because we're living at a time when the end is about to come and if Paul wrote this to them back then what do you think that says to us now he says if you think you are standing firm you had better be careful that you do not fall now I recognize that's kind of like an ominous way to start a message like usually we come the church, we want God to meet us and we want to be encouraged. And I believe you will be encouraged today. But let's recognize that, that this is a warning, okay? And warnings are helpful. Warnings are good. Warnings give you some truth that you need. I know sometimes like we're, we live in this state where it's like, ah, I don't know, like, who am I to tell somebody to warn someone? Like, I don't want to be prideful. Who am I to, to be in a position to tell somebody what they should or shouldn't do? I want you to understand that we just take a doctor, for instance. If, if a doctor doesn't give us the truth, we call that medical malpractice. We call that medical negligence. And so I, I understand on one hand, you look at this and like, man, this seems intense, but this is actually to help you. And, and this, this will encourage you today. And in this series where we've subtitled it Lessons from the Wilderness, what we're really doing is learning to recognize the warnings. Because as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, there's some, some things in our lives that even though we've been baptized, even though we've walked with God, even though we're following God, even though we come to church, there's some things if we're not careful, some things that are in us that can keep us from getting to what God has before us. And so Paul's wanting to help them. He's saying, I don't want you to get tripped up in your walk with God. Because I don't want you to get tripped up, let's revisit the trip that the Israelites took through the wilderness. Now, in our text today, we're going to use an example from Moses' life that cost him dearly. And it's probably not the example that Moses would want us to use. Like if Moses was here, he'd be like, hey, PJ, can you, not use, can you not use this story? Of all the stories, like, tell him about the Red Sea. I like that one. That one makes me look good because, like, the, the Egyptians were coming, and I, like, stressed out my, my rod, and the waters parted, and, you know, it was, like, this great moment. Tell him that one. 
Or he might be like, can you, can you tell me about when, when, when God appeared in the burning bush? Like he, he chose me and this bush didn't burn. Can you tell him about that one? He, he probably wouldn't want us to look at this one because this is one of Moses's maybe lesser known moments and lesser known for a reason because it's a little bit humiliating. You know, some, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I, I don't like to show my weakness. I, I don't like to show the places where I'm vulnerable. It doesn't make him look very good, but one of the greatest lessons we can learn is to learn from somebody else's pain. And that's what I hope you do today, we're able to do today, is to, to look at Moses' life and say, I don't want that to happen to me. Now, if you don't know much about Moses, maybe you're new to church or, or, or new to faith in Christ, or maybe you're not here, not even a Christian, we're glad you're here. Uh, what you need to know about Moses is Moses is kind of like a rock star of the Bible. Uh, he, he's one of the most talented leaders in the Bible, but he's also one of the most conflicted. And for that reason, I relate to Moses. Not, not, not to his talent, but to his trouble. And it encourages me to see someone like Moses, who definitely had some shortcomings, definitely had some unresolved issues, definitely had some failings, that even though he didn't get it right, God was still able to use him. But I also want to point out that even though God did use him, we shouldn't mistake the mercy of God for the blessing of God. There's a difference. Even though God still used him, because of his issues that we're going to look at, it cost him. And rather than give you all of Moses' history, I, I want to jump into our text, and I'm going to read a lot, but I'm, I'm going to make some commentary along the way, and then we'll, we'll backfill it in with some of the details of, of Moses' life. But in Numbers 20, uh, verse 1, is where we're starting, it says, the people of Israel, the entire community, they came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Say Kadesh. I just like to know that you're with me, and that's a cool word. So um, Miriam, that's Moses' sister, she died there, and she was buried there. Now, there was no water for the community, so they assembled together against Moses and Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. These people sound like a delight, let me tell you. They said, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you taken us out of Egypt to bring us into this horrible place? Now, I'm going to tell you a little tip. I didn't tell the nine o'clock service because they are not as advanced as you. And this is something that, like, you only get, like, the, people are going to be so impressed at how smart you are. Now, they said, when it tells us that Miriam died, the reason that's important, one, it gives us some insight in Moses' pain, but it also tells us the time that this happened. And they've been in the wilderness now for 37, 38 years. They're towards the end of the wilderness wandering. Miriam dying is signifying she's the last of all the people who came out of Egypt, all this new generation. It's a new generation. These are the children. So when they say, if only we had perished with our brothers... Why have you taken us out of Egypt? These ones were never in Egypt. They were never in Egypt. They, they were repeating the pain of their parents, which you're going to find out in a moment. 
we're talking about how we pass on some of the stuff within us and it keeps us from what God has before us. So they're saying something that's not true. Why have you taken us out of Egypt and never even lived in Egypt to bring us into this horrible place? This place does not have grain, doesn't have figs, vines, or pomegranates. There's no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. They went to the presence of the Lord, the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell face down. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. Aren't you glad that even in tense moments, you can go to God and God will meet you? I like how it says we went to the tent of meeting. They're talking about the tabernacle. It's a sacred place. But, you know, you need a place. You need your own tent of meeting. You need a place that when the pressure's on, you can go to God and he will show up and meet you where you're at and speak to you. And it says the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 7, then verse 8. He says, take the staff and assemble the community. Now, this staff that he's talking about, this is a famous staff. This is the same staff he had while he was a shepherd tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. This is the same staff that when God is speaking to him from this burning bush, the first thing he says to him after Moses says, I'm, I don't think I'm cut out for this. He says, what's in your hand? It's this staff, significant staff. He says, throw it on the ground. The staff becomes a snake. It's a wonder-working rod. This staff is the one that when he goes into Egypt, God works all the miracles through this staff, this, this rod. It actually, from that moment, becomes known as the rod of God. And this staff, he, he puts it towards the Nile. The Nile turns to blood. He stretches it towards the sky, and hailstones come down. The, these are the plagues of Egypt. The, the, he used, stretches the staff, and the locusts come. The gnats, all from this staff. This is the same staff that when the, the story Moses would want us to tell, when, when they're leaving Egypt and their back is up against the Red Sea, he stretches out the staff and the waters part. This staff, this significant staff, is the same one that when they're facing the Amalekites and the Amalekites seem like they're too much for them, he raises up the staff and when the staff is up, the Israelites are strong and the Amalekites are no match for them. It's the same Staff, a significant staff, the staff that he's carried with him now for well over, well, 70, 80 years. And at this point now, God says, I want you to take that same staff. I want you to get Aaron. I want you to get everybody together. And I want you to speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water for them from the rock and provide water for the community and their livestock. So Moses, he took the staff from the Lord's presence just as the Lord commanded. And Moses and Aaron, they gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, listen now, you rebels. I think I'm going to start a sermon sometime that way. Just walk up here. Listen now, you rebels. It's kind of how I talk to my kids right before I'm about to give them a lecture. Mostly just my boys, because Pippa's she's pretty perfect. But um, listen now, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? That's kind of interesting. Because I thought God was the one who was bringing the water forth. But what we see in this passage is, is now he's taking credit for something that God wants to do. That's a dangerous place to be, friends. 
And so he, he says, must we do this again? See, this isn't the first time he's had to do this. He's exasperated at this point. And so it says in verse 11, he lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff, not once, but twice. And it's worth pointing out, I don't know if you saw this, God never told him to strike the rock. God told him to speak to the rock. Nevertheless, it says, and a great amount of water gushed out, and the congregation and their livestock drank. So on the surface, what Moses did worked. And if you stopped here, you'd think, hey, this is a good story. You know, Moses, he's obviously a little hot-headed, but uh, God can still use somebody despite their failings. But just because it worked doesn't mean it was right. How many of you know you can do something and just because it's successful doesn't mean it was helpful? And so <laughs> water came out of the rock, but what the story says, if you read in between the lines, is also something came out of Moses in this moment, something that was in him. And everyone got water, but it cost Moses something in the end. And we see it in this next verse, verse 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you will not bring this assembly into this land which I have given to them. It's kind of a sad story that this guy that God used in such a mighty way, such a powerful way, such a significant way that still to this day one of the most prominent people in the Old Testament, even in all of Scripture, that despite his failings, despite his shortcomings, that God could still use him, work miracles through him, yet he could not go into what was before him because of something that was within him that he never dealt with. And that's what I want to help you with today. I want to use this text to speak to you from this subject about a rock and a hard place. A rock and a hard place. And what I see in this text, it makes me ponder this question about those moments when we miss opportunities. Have you ever missed an opportunity? Just, just wave at me if you've ever missed an opportunity. You can pretend you're fanning yourself and be a wave. When you miss an opportunity, all of us, I mean, we've missed opportunities. I've I, I missed opportunities. Maybe for some of you, your missed opportunity was um, you, you missed the opportunity to ask that girl out while she was still single. Now she's got a boyfriend. It's a missed opportunity. Uh, may, maybe you missed uh, the opportunity to uh, get that item when it was on sale. And, and this sermon is not brought to you by Amazon Prime Day, but, but so there's times where we, we miss that opportunity. Or, or maybe it's, you know, we... We, we missed investing in that stock when it hit bottom or, you know, all sorts of things that we miss opportunities, the job opportunity, the relationship, the travel, the, all these different things. And sometimes it's not what you didn't do. Sometimes you miss an opportunity because of what you did. So some, sometimes it's the fact that you made a choice that maybe wasn't the wisest. Maybe the choice you made, the action you took. Uh, didn't reflect godly character, maybe in a moment of weakness, uh, you made a decision that caused you some pain. That, that's, that's where Moses is at. And 
I, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a preacher, but I, I want to dive into this element of what would cause somebody who walked with God so closely to respond in such a way that would cause them to miss out on what God had promised them. The thing that he was called to do. This is where Moses is. Now, I need you to understand the situation because Moses, he wasn't just dealing with a rock. Moses was in a hard place. He was in a hard place because despite what you might think about Moses, he's, he's had a hard life. I know we think of him as this great leader, and he was, but much of Moses' life, he's had people reject him. He's had people resist him. He's had people re refuse him. And it started from the moment he was born. Now, God's providence was on his life, but think about Moses. As a baby, he was given up. He was given up so that his life would be saved because the Pharaoh at the time did not like the Israelites. All the Hebrew boys were being born and they were feeling threatened. And so his mom gives him up to save his life. Through God's providence, he comes into the custody and care of Pharaoh's daughter. He's adopted into the palace. Sounds like a good thing. It is a good thing. God's hand was on it, except it only ended up amplifying his insecurity because now he's in Pharaoh's palace, but he's born a Hebrew. The one that Pharaoh was, the, the group of people Pharaoh was trying to kill. And <laughs> because he's in the palace, he's too Egyptian to be accepted by his Hebrew brothers because everything about him represents their oppression. And so this all comes to a head in Moses' life when one moment he sees an Egyptian official abusing and beating two of his Hebrew brothers, and he jumps in to save the day. He jumps in to do something about it, but he, he ends up killing the Egyptian, thinking, and any time we try <laughs> to enact God's justice with our own hands, we're missing the moment. James says, James 1.20 says that human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Sometimes we're, we're trying to implement a system absent of grace and we end up missing what God wants to do. So he jumps in, he kills this Egyptian thinking that he's saving the day, but the Hebrews don't see him as a savior. They end up mocking him for his help. Who are you? You think... You think we want you to do something about this? No, he, Moses, he was this guy that never fit in. I think all of us deal with that sometimes where we feel like we just, we don't quite fit in. And because of that, he's made a reluctant leader. All his life, he's felt like people were against him. And that's what caught my attention in verse two when it says, there was no water for the community. So they assembled together against Moses and Aaron. Now, whenever I study scripture, I take time, I go through verse by verse, I'm looking at different words and seeing, because when the writers, they, they write, sometimes they put in, it's almost like, like, like puns, but there's some wordplay with the writers. And so it's interesting because when they say that they, they assembled together against them, that's actually one word. And, and what, that, what that word means, it, it means that they gathered together for the purpose of combat and judgment. The, the, the Hebrew word literally means a community of conflict, which, which is funny because I didn't know social media was in the Bible. But 
they, they call it an assembly, but it's this community that only exists to quarrel. And I know it's easy to pick on the Israelites. We, we tend to do it. It's like, oh, how could they be so stupid? And I was kind of hard on them last week. But I want to give them a, a break right here because I understand they're upset. But, I mean, I think they're under, understandably upset. Like they're complaining to Moses that they don't have water. And they're in a desert. And last time I checked, like having water in the desert is, is kind of a big deal. So I understand why they make a scene because the, situ the situation feels desperate. They're between a rock and a hard place. And here's the thing. When you're desperate, desperation will cause you to do things that you would not normally do. De desperation, it doesn't just cause you to do things you would normally do. It'll cause you to misinterpret reality. So they're in this moment, and because they're in despair, well, it creates this all-or-nothing type of thinking. The despair causes these negative mental filters to take root where we disqualify the positive in our life, and we jump to irrational conclusions. That's what they're doing. That, that's what's going on here. Because one thing that stuck out to me while I was studying is they're in this place called Kadesh, you remember, say Kadesh. Kadesh. And this was not the first time they were in Kadesh. This is the second time. The first time they were in Kadesh was when Moses sent the 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. So see, Kadesh is right on the border of their breakthrough. Kadesh is the place where they failed and missed God, but they should really be in this place. Instead of thinking about what they're right on the edge of, they're just on edge. Instead of thinking about, man, if we can just get into the promise, instead of thinking about conquest, they're locked into conflict. And it's worth pointing out that when you're on the border of something better, there's always going to be increased conflict. Now, that's not the only thing that was interesting to me about Kadesh. The, the other thing, this is what I want to point out to you, is that Kadesh, it's a Hebrew word, Kadesh means holy. Say holy. 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 And that's significant because everything God has been doing in their life up to this point has been to teach them what it means to value sacred things. So we kind of saw this last week. Like last week, God spoke to the Israelites and he called them to consecrate themselves. Consecrate, just I want you to purify yourself from all the things that keep you chained to your old way of life. I, I want you to leave the chains behind. I want you to remove those things. I want you to purify yourself. Well, now they're, they've done that and they're camped out in a place called holy, but they don't see it as holy. They see it as horrible. Let me show you. Verse 3 says, The people quarreled with Moses. If only we perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. We've brought you, the Lord, you brought the Lord something into this wilderness for us and this livestock that I hear. Why have you taken us up out of Egypt to bring us into this horrible place? You mean holy place? No, horrible. It's hard to imagine getting so desperate that you begin to detest what's holy. Most of us would not picture ourselves here. The Israelites didn't. They weren't upset with God. 
They called themselves God's people. They said, why did you bring the Lord's assembly? As far as they're concerned, it's like the problems with you, Moses. But what they can't see is, is their, because of their dysfunction, because of their despair, they're calling holy things horrible. And it's, it's easy to understand why. They, they were upset about a real deficiency in their life. There's not water. Whenever you have a lack, a shortfall, deficiency, a gap, we tend to start reacting instead of responding. The way they react is the way we often begin to react, which is to blame. Moses is the prime candidate. It's not their fault. Not God's fault. They're God's people. It's Moses' fault. When we have a deficiency, we're looking for somebody else to take responsibility, and in this case, that's Moses. So they say to Moses, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Now, the situation is serious, for sure. But even though the situation was serious, they're not actually about to die. This is what psychologists call cognitive distortion. Cognitive distortion is an exaggerated or irrational thought pattern often brought about by depression or anxiety, and it causes a person to perceive reality inaccurately. Now, I am not a psychologist, but I do know how to use Wikipedia. And this is what Wikipedia says. During difficult circumstances, these distorted thoughts can contribute to an overall negative outlook on the world and a depressive or anxious mental state. It goes on to say that the interpretation that people give their experience influences whether they will become depressed or whether they will experience severe, repeated, long-duration episodes of depression. So they're in this state of cognitive distortion, saying things like, Moses... This place that you brought us, it doesn't have figs, it doesn't have grain, it doesn't have grapes, it doesn't have pomegranates. Interesting to note, if you go to Numbers 14, this is all of the stuff they brought back from Canaan after they spied at the land. The same things that they are looking for are the things that God has in front of them. And so they're saying this, but what they're doing is they're glamorizing a past that really didn't exist. They're not recognizing the value of the present. This is a holy place. And they've lost hope for their future. Now, it's worth saying that Kadesh, another thing about Kadesh I learned is, it's a place where there's supposed to be springs. Like in the wilderness of Zin, there were five wildernesses, wilderness of Zin, there was a place everybody knew called Kadesh that if you can just get there, there's some springs there that you can drink from. So I get it now. They were expecting water and they get, get there and all they get is wilderness. And you see frustration happens whenever what you experience is different than what you expect. So what you're frustrated about is really not your situation. What you're frustrated about is your expectation that is different than your situation. They didn't have water before they got here. They weren't complaining then. 
They're complaining now because they expected water when they got here. And now that I didn't plan for this, I'm angry. Since anger breeds anger and conflict breeds conflict, they've got upset and now Moses got upset and this is what we need to talk about. I get why Moses would be mad. I mean, Moses, you think about all he's done for these people, thing after thing, <laughs> he's cared for them, delivered them, been used by God, had to deal with their griping and complaining. They always just expect him to solve the problem. I imagine he feels a little bit taken advantage of. I imagine he feels a little bit taken for granted. But that's not really why Moses is upset. Moses is still dealing with his own issues of abandonment that he's carried since he was a boy. That's why when God met Moses at the bush, Moses said, hey, you've got the wrong guy. I, I know what's standing before me is a miracle. I recognize this. I know I should be thankful. I, I know I should be in awe. I, 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 know, like, I, I know I should take off my shoes, and, but you've got the wrong guy. Can you use somebody else? Somebody who's stronger? Somebody who's more capable? Some, somebody that won't fail you? Because God, if you choose me, I'm going to let you down. See, this moment where Moses struck the rock and spoke to the people when he really should have spoke to the rock and shepherded the people, it's not really about this moment. It's about years of frustration that he has carried with him. Years of wounds in the wilderness that he's never healed from. Years of resentment that he has let build up in his heart. And so when they say, Moses, what's wrong with you? Part of it is he knows it's true. There's some stuff that's wrong. And that's what makes criticism so hard is when we know that there's some truth to it. So he lashes out and he strikes the rock. And I get why he struck the rock, because this is the only way he's ever learned to navigate. The staff was the thing that he's carried with him. The staff was part of his identity. The, the staff was the thing he leaned on for support. The staff was the thing he trusted to perform God's power. The staff is all he's known. So I understand why he took the staff. God told him to take the staff. I understand why he used the staff, because that's what he's always done before. What didn't make sense until this week is why God would tell him to take the staff if he didn't want him to use it. See, I remembered something about when God first called Moses. He says, hey, Moses, I want you to, I want you to be deliverer for my people. And Moses said, hold up, God. I don't, I don't speak very well. And God said, what's in your hand? See, the, the, the staff 
was supposed to be a sign of God's presence, not a crutch for God's power. And now he's gotten so used to relying on something that God never really wanted him to lean on. God wanted to heal the issue in his heart that he's had since he was a boy. So before God could let Moses lead his people into the promised land, he wanted to know, okay, Moses, we've been walking together for a long time. Will you trust me now? When I tell you to speak, will you speak? Or will you go back to what's comfortable? Will you go back to what you're used to? See, the reason God wouldn't let Moses lead the people into the promised land after this moment was not punishment. It was protection. Because if Moses would have led them with this condition that was still in his heart, they would have never made it. They would have died in Jericho. The moment God said, hey, walk around the walls, don't go into a fight, he would have said, no, that's not my thing. He would have tried knocking the walls with the staff. God needed somebody who wasn't dependent on his staff. God needed somebody who, who knows that, yes, I know the staff has been used to perform miracles, but, but God wanted them to know, can you hold it in your hand while having the faith not to use it? Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock because he was more committed to the system and to his source. God said, you don't trust me enough. You've allowed resentment to build up in your heart. It's limited your potential. And here's what I know. Unhealed resentment creates an unholy response. This is what I want to deal with. See it in verse 12. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. This is the warning. This is the lesson. When we dishonor God's holiness, it doesn't keep him from loving us, but it does keep him from leading us. Holy means special. It means special. It means we should not treat it casually when we come in here because we recognize God's presence is here. There's real power here to meet us where we're at, to forgive us of our sins. Grace is available to us. There's healing power here. There's wonder-working power here. There's miracle-working power here. There is compassion. There is freedom. There is love. There is mercy. But when we approach it casually because of something in us that we've never healed, it will limit God's ability to lead us. Not limit his love for us, but his ability to lead us. You might think, well, pastor, yeah, but I mean, that's the Old Testament and we're under grace and all of that stuff. You're right, we are. But there's no grace without repentance. And when we rob people of repentance, we rob them of the ability to experience God's grace. And so the question, the question is, what are you trusting in today? Are you trusting in the system or the source?
trusting in the rod or the rock. What you're used to, what you've known, what's comfortable, what's easy, what's worked in the past. This happened as an example for all of us. Remember Paul said, I, I want you to know what happened in the wilderness, this example. They drank from the same spiritual rock and that rock was Christ. Here's the good news of this message. Is that in the next, I didn't read this verse in verse 13. It says that these are the waters of Meribah because there the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. Moses limited his life by his refusal to honor God's holiness. But God's grace was so great it didn't stop with their griping. God's compassion was so great even where Moses messed up he still brought forth water from the rock. And the point of this is when there's repentance the place of your greatest mistake can be the place of God's greatest mercy. The, the, the place of your greatest mistake can be the place of God's greatest miracle. The, the stuff that you've been holding on to, the stuff that you haven't dealt with, if you will repent, been holding on to offense, been holding on to unforgiveness, you've been holding on to some resentment, you've been holding on to some issues, if you'll bring it to the rock, speak to the rock and say, Jesus, I need your help. I, I need your grace. I, I need your forgiveness. I need you to come in. I, I need you to, to pour out your grace in my life the same way this rock poured out water. Come and fill me. Help me. Heal me. Strengthen me. And I just wanted to end this just you in your own words that, that you could experience God's grace in your life by bringing that stuff to the rock and speaking to the rock and if you would just bow your head